Well, good morning, Portico. It is great to have you here this morning, December 7th, 1941. A radar officer stationed in Oahu notices a small mass, which is unusually disproportionate to what they should expect to see. Kermit Tyler, the leading officer, said, don't worry about it. We're just expecting a group of planes to come in. And yet what was presented on the screen was an anomaly. They knew that something was wrong, but nobody took the time to really address the issue. Everybody assumed that it's probably just something that we should expect, and they just moved on with life. It would plunge the U.S. into the war with Japan for four years, which would be catastrophic on many fronts. And, of course, we know our world history and what took place. So why do we show that this morning? Because I think that video actually illustrates for me something that many of us do in our ordinary lives. We don't pay attention to the radar screen. That when something shows up on sort of the dashboard of our bigger life, we actually sort of discount the importance of it, and we assume, well, maybe it's associated to something else. Well, we're kicking off a brand new series, and we're going to be talking about life rhythms that we're going to talk about how do we find rhythms in our life again to restore and synchronize living in an offbeat world because I think for a lot of us, we experience in life this dissonance, this disconnect from reality. We have an exterior life that we live, but when the radar in the interior part of our world goes off, we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We ignore it and we sort of discount the alarms. So what we want to do over the next few weeks in our series is we're actually going to get deeper into this to have a look and say, what's taking place within the deeper portions of our lives? Why are we out of sync? Why are we out of harmony in some of these areas of our lives? And what do we need to do to restore synchronized living, to find life rhythms the way that God designed us to live? See, I think all of us know this to be true, that God created us with the wonder of life. He gives us the gift of new life. He restores us to wholeness. But something I'm discovering over and over and over is most people are not living the fulfilled life that God desired for us to have. Jesus said, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you abundant life. And here's what I find. I think most people manage the exterior part of their world, and they don't pay enough attention to the interior part. And while all the energy is gone to present this exterior persona to everybody around us in the interior part, the internal part of our lives, we are so well aware that there's a dissonance, there's a discord. It doesn't connect with what we're projecting. I think one of the pictures that really helps us understand it is a picture of an iceberg. We'll put it on the screen for you. You can see this. Where above the water, we see 10% of our lives. It's what everybody else sees. It's how we dress up, we look good, we go to church, and everybody goes, oh, there's Doug. And they just point you out, and they look at the externals, and they make an assumption about who you are. But look beneath the surface. We marvel at what we see floating in the water, but we don't see what resides below the surface of the water. How true is this for our lives? That it's easy to misread or misunderstand what's really represented in an ordinary life. And I think we all know that. I think we know it to be true. So here's my goal. This is what I want to do. As we get into this series, the reason we called it Life Rhythms is I really believe that God has designed us to operate within the realm of His Spirit with joy, with peace, with that whole sense of purpose in our lives. And when our exterior or our above-the-surface life is synchronized with the interior or the the below-the-surface life, that's when true joy takes over. 
That's when, when people see me for who I am on the outside and it matches with who I am on the inside when there's that connect and it's all synced up and there's harmony. Then I have the kind of life that Jesus offered to us. So over this series, what we're going to do is we're going to dive down underneath the surface a little bit and we're going to have a look because it's easy to misread situations. In fact, let me just share this with you. It was 1954, a young musical performer in Nashville, Tennessee, stepped in to perform at a club, and after playing, the manager said to him, son, he said, you need to go back to a driving truck. You're not going to amount to anything. That was Elvis Presley. That manager missed that one big time, didn't he? It was Albert Einstein, when he was still a child living in Germany, attending public school, that one of his school teachers, and I wouldn't want to be this teacher, but one of his school teachers at age 10 saw Albert Einstein and said to him, you're just not going to make anything out of your life. And that, wow, talk about misreading that one. And then it's uh, Ken Taylor, I believe is his name. Ken Taylor was the, the CEO of uh, an equipment manufacturing. It was a computer company. And he made a prediction, and it was, sorry, it was Ken Olson, 1977. Here's his prediction. As chairman of digital equipment, he said, there's no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. Well, how's that working for us today? Have you ever heard of digital equipment? Nope, they're gone. Why is it? They got absorbed. They got swallowed up by compact and then HP. See, we look at stuff on the external world. We make an assumption. We make a prediction or an assessment of it, but we don't look beneath the surface. And we're going to take a little bit of time. So I don't want to rush through this as we go through the series. In fact, I really want to make sure that we get the best value out of the journey. We're going to break that iceberg apart. We're going to get down deep down into our lives a little bit and have a look at our lives. And this is your journey. I want you to be honest with it because I want you to be the person that God created you to be, filled with the joy, the power, and the fullness that God wants you to have. And one of the ways we're going to do that is through our small groups together. Now, we're starting all our small groups back up. They're all getting into motion. If you're not in one, you can sign up today. You can get into a small group. You can come out on Wednesday night for our small group experience here at the church. That'll start on the 16th. But to take what I speak on today and actually get it embedded into our lives you need to get into a bigger conversation. I can share principles, but I want you to wrestle this down with other people. There's a picture of a book on the screen. This is a book that was written by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. We had them here as guests not that long ago. And they wrote a book that's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And we're going to base our small group studies and some of our Sunday mornings is going to be based upon material that's presented in the book. And if you'd like to order this, I'm going to encourage you to do that. If you'd like to order and read the book, today there's a table where you can stop at the back and you can pre-order. You can order the book and the study guide if you want them. And Pastor Josh and our staff will be there to help you with that. But our goal is to give you the resources to make sure that both when you're in your small group studies or in your personal journey, that you can get into the deeper journey of your life and develop this emotionally healthy spirituality so that all of our lives will find that synchronized rhythm that God has called us to. Now, one of the best ways to discover how to have an emotionally healthy spiritual life is sometimes to look at someone who doesn't. It's always good to look at those who do, but sometimes it's the failure that helps us to learn the best. So we're going to take our Bibles. Would you do that? Take your Bibles right now. And if you need to borrow a Bible this morning, uh, just raise your hand real high. If you're online this morning, we want to welcome you. Take out your electronic device or your Bible. 
Take the Bible this morning. Use it while we go through our message. You can leave it on the chair when we're finished. If you're in the chapel, we have Bibles available for you. And if you're in the video cafe, there's Bibles in there as well. Just keep your hand up high enough. Our ushers are making their way through. They'll spot you and they'll get a copy to you. As you take your Bible, I'm going to encourage you as well to take out your notes. And we're going to take a few notes after I read a selection for us. The life we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to spend a few moments and we'll try to deep dive into a couple of portions for you and then let you get away and you can study this. We're going to look at the life of Saul. Now Saul was the king, first king over the nation of Israel. He had been selected by God. The people of Israel had said they were crying out to God and they were pleading with their prophets. They're going, we want to have a king. Give us a king like every other nation. So God warned them. He said, look, if you, if you get a king, you get the taxes. Everybody knows you, you get politicians, you get taxes, right? He says, if you get a king, you're going to get taxes. You're going to get a lot more than that. But he warned them. He said, if, if you trade off and you have a king, be prepared for the consequences. So they said, no, 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 we want to have a king. So God searches for the heart of a king that he can choose, and he finds this young man, real humble man, lived out on the peripheral part, wasn't really up in the prime public spotlight. And he said, Samuel the prophet, go anoint him. That's the guy I want. So Samuel anoints Saul to be king, and this young, strapping, powerful man starts to assume the role of leading the nation of Israel. And we often look at Saul, and we know the story of his downside. Those of you familiar with the Bible, we know sort of the end of the story. But it's in the story that I want to get us to. Because as Saul begins to live as king, and as he lives his life out, here's something to find that he didn't understand how to develop emotionally healthy spirituality. His was very unhealthy. And as we look at these principles this morning, my prayer for you, my goal for you, all of us, is that we'll be able to look at these principles and look at our lives and go, I vow I will not do this. I am going to have a life rhythm that is fully synchronized and harmonious. I'm going to live the life that God has called us to. Well, let's turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's where we're going to jump in in the story. Look at Saul, and then I'm going to show you a little bit of what took place here. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So Samuel said to Saul, that's the prophet of God speaking to the king of Israel. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over this people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So now go and attack the Amalekites, totally destroy all that belongs to them, and do not spare them. Now we don't have time to get into the story, and there's a reason God gives this commandment. So Saul musters the forces, he goes off, and he sets out to do what God has said. And we're going to pick up the story down at verse 13, when Samuel now returns to find out how the battle went. How are things doing? Now watch what it says in verse 13. So when Samuel reached Saul, Saul said to Samuel, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And Samuel said, well, then what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Well, Saul answered, he said, the soldiers brought them back from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. So Samuel replied and he said, although you were once small in your own eyes and you did not become... Uh, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? And why did you do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back Agag, their king. 
And the soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order that we could sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and the arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So Samuel turned to leave, and Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and he tore it. And Samuel said, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel to you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being, that he should change his mind. And Saul then replied, I have sinned. Please, honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Clearly, this is the picture of a life that is in chaos. This is a picture of a life that is completely out of order. The exterior part of Saul's world is in dissonance with the interior part of his world. There is a full disconnect. And when he was given just simple instructions to do, he didn't. So when Saul, the prophet of God, challenges him, we begin to see the true story. This is what happens. Our lives normally, in the ordinary course of our lives, when things are going along fine and we have no pressure in our lives, Everything feels great. You know, it's all sunshine and roses, and we love music. We love to sing in the car when we're driving because everything feels really... You throw a little bit of pressure into our world. You add just a little bit of tension into our world. Put a little bit of stress in our world. Here's what you'll find, that our exterior life begins to become unsynced from our interior world, that all of a sudden we put more energy at protecting our public image and our private interior worlds begin to implode. And that's exactly what was happening to Saul. And I want to share with you this morning just a couple of observations of the unhealthy nature of his spirituality so that we can develop a healthy approach. You ready to go? All right, let's write them down. Here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes. Emotionally healthy people relentlessly develop self-awareness. They develop a sense of self-awareness. They discern when there is a disconnect in their interior world, when things are out of sync, and they're quick to restore their rhythms. So we're all prone, uh, we're all prone to blind spots. We all have blind spots. Do you believe that? How many believe we have blind spots? Raise your hands. How many of you didn't raise your hands? Those are the blind spots. We all have them. We all have blind spots. Sometimes we don't recognize... Some of, some are innocent. They're no big deal. For instance, I was walking through the mall one day, and, you know, I used to think about my parents. I still think about them a lot, but I would think about my dad and how he led and the kind of father he was and some of his mannerisms and behaviors. And, you know, you can always pick out these, you know, sort of mannerisms that they have, and, and that's your parent or your dad or your mom or whatever. And I remember one day I was thinking about my dad and his life, and I was walking through the mall, and I told Laura this story. I was walking through the mall, and all of a sudden I stopped. I had my hands in my pocket. I stopped in the mall, in the middle of the mall, and I went, oh, my gosh. I walk just like my dad. Like, it just struck me in that moment, like everything about my, my journey through the mall, that could have been my father walking through the mall at that moment. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a habit that I've picked up. But you do know some of our blind spots are lethal, right? Sometimes it's the lies, the anger, the mistrust that we fail to recognize or acknowledge, but it's there. Sometimes we blame it 
on our heritage or our cultural background. You know, hey, I'm Scottish. I'm allowed to be an angry man. Or I'm German. I'm allowed to be stubborn. Right? We can blame our cultural upbringing and our background. And yet, what we realize is that's not what God allows for in our lives here. He goes, a really healthy, balanced life is someone who develops self-awareness and he understands. So let me show you what happened in Saul's world. So here you have Saul, who set off to do what God had asked him to do, failed at it, and Samuel comes, and I want you to look in your notes, because I've got the verses for you, and look at Saul's response to Samuel. It's verse 13. When Samuel asks about the battle, here's what Saul says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Did he? No. Isn't it amazing? Now, I don't know about you. This just struck me as kind of funny when I was reading it again. Samuel's the prophet, the one God speaks to. Samuel's the one that God anointed and said, now you go anoint the king, King Saul. So when Saul sees Samuel coming, he lies to him. I I just don't think that's a good pattern to develop early in your life, to lie to the one who hears from God. Hey, the Lord bless you. I did everything God said. And Samuel, it's almost humorous the way he says, really? I can't hear you because of all the sheep and the cattle. Like, what's that all about? Your voice is being drowned out by your disobedience. Saul had not developed a great sense of self-awareness. He had found a way to make excuses and cover up the blind spots in his life. And so when Saul was speaking to Samuel, he's somehow hopeful that all the exterior things that he was doing would compensate for the gap in the interior. That everything he did above the surface would somehow be overlooked down below the surface. So he's talking to Samuel, and it's like, hey, Samuel, look what I did. I mean, I went out, and I I fulfilled what God said to do, and we brought back the best, the very, very best. Not for us, by the way. We're going to give it to God so that we can worship God. That's how we do this, isn't it? We always find a way to rationalize a behavior, and then we throw God in the back end of it, you know, because I'm going to give it to God eventually anyhow. And so that's what Saul was doing, and this unhealthy pattern in his life was actually destroying him. He didn't have self-awareness. And Samuel brings this out so clearly, and he goes, Saul, do you even see what you're saying to me? You're telling me that you obeyed, and I can't even hear you because the plunder that you brought back actually echoes louder than your own voice. So way, way too often, our expressions of good intentions, our justification of our behaviors, and our need to defend our good motives are really indicative that down beneath the surface of our lives, there are things that need to be checked out, that something is out of sync with the life that God has called us to. I like what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I put it in your notes. Paul writing to the believers, he said, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, that's us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That we are admonished in Scripture to reflect, contemplate, examine our life. I think that's a good thing for everyone to do to take a few moments at some point in our day and stop and look and go, does my exterior world, does it really reflect who I am on the inner part of my world? See, that's one area that we can't get into, is it? We can see each other in this plane, but I can't see past that plane. And so only God's Spirit can help us to be honest enough about the interior part of our life. Are we living as followers of Christ at that level of our life? Are we open and honest? Maybe one of the ways to really develop this whole sense of self-awareness is to ask a few questions. You know, how do you really probe the deeper part of your heart? So I started to write down a few things that I thought, well, these would be good questions for me and maybe good questions for you. So I wrote them down. 
Why do I feel I need to be right? Why is it I feel I need to be right? Why do I feel the need for everything to be done my way? Why do I feel that I need to justify my behavior? Or maybe the question is, is, why do I feel I need to be in control? Or why do I fail to admit when I was wrong, when I know I was wrong? Or why do I feel I need to blame others for the mistakes that were made? See, these are the questions that I feel help us actually develop self-awareness. They take us down to a level where we get honest enough to allow God to probe our heart and our spirit so that he can bring out the best in who we are created to be. And sometimes the questions of self-introspection are not enough. Did you know that? That you have this wonderful gift of self-deception? You do. So do I. It's a great thing. We can convince ourselves. For instance, we were talking this week, and uh, I was talking with some of the guys on staff, and when I drive down to the office, the decision whether or not I'm going to stop to buy a coffee is whether or not there's an empty parking spot in front of the, the coffee shop. And so you make this conversation even before you get there. Well, I probably should have a coffee today if there's an empty spot. If there's not one, I go, oh, then I guess I wasn't supposed to have a coffee. We can convince ourselves, deceive ourselves, lead ourselves down a path that we don't even know what we're doing. That's why the Bible actually encourages us, find a friend. Find a really trusted confidant because they will share the truth with you. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who, draw, one who has insight draws them out. When you find a confident, a trusted companion, they will help you draw the truth out. They'll, they'll tell you where those shortcomings are. They'll show you where maybe some of those blind spots are. If you don't believe me, get married. Everybody that's married just chuckled a little bit. See, our spouses, for the most part, if it's a safe growing relationship, we'll be honest with each other. We'll help each other. We want to bring the best out in the other person. And so Proverbs says sometimes you need to go to a friend because a friend will be honest where you don't actually want to put your fingers. And they'll help you see that and you'll develop self-awareness which will bring this wholeness and this rhythm and the fullness to your spiritual life that God intends for us to have. If you don't have a really good friend that you can trust, then get into one of our small groups. Get into a relationship, develop a relationship with others, and others will help you, and you can have this candor of conversation that's going to make a tremendous difference. Well, that's where Saul failed here in his life. He didn't have really good self-awareness. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Emotionally healthy people, they cultivate a personal relationship with God. They are intentional about this. It's not something we take for granted. It's not something that we make a one-time decision and we check it off like on a little scorecard. They are intentional about cultivating a personal relationship with God. Think about Saul just for a quick moment here. So when God set him apart and anointed him, said, you're going to be king over Israel, that was a very, very powerful moment. In fact, the Bible says that God put his spirit on King Saul so that he could lead the people, lead the nation, and understand what to do. And so here you have this leader king who understands the relationship that he has with God, but it's almost as if Paul sets the cruise control on his life. And he goes on to this autopilot that he no longer continues to cultivate his relationship. He begins to take his relationship with God for granted. He's king over Israel. He's got all power. In fact, his word has to be obeyed. If he wants to kill a prophet, his word needs to be obeyed. His soldiers will kill a prophet. So what he speaks is going to be carried out. See, when you give more power, more influence, more control, it seems like the heart gets drawn away further and further from God. 
So here he's taking this relationship with the Lord very, very casually. And as we join him back in this story in Samuel, we begin to see some of the ways that it exhibits itself. Look in your notes in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel says to Saul, he goes, okay, all the excuses now. He said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obedience? Saul, do you understand that that God is not concerned about all the doing? You can try to rationalize and justify and say, I brought the best of the plunder back so we can give it to God. It's going to be a great thing. He said, you can say that this is really in your heart. You want to honor God in every one of your dimensions. He goes, don't you understand that God isn't concerned about your religious activity as much as he is concerned about being in his presence and being in relationship with him? And I share that this morning because some of us can easily get caught up in our religious activity and assume that that is an indicator of great spiritual health. We go to church, we give, we serve, we go out on missions trip, we do all the wonderful things, but that's the external part of our world. And what God looks is at the interior. He looks below the surface and he goes, how's your heart? How's your heart? Do you hear my voice? Do you respond when you hear my voice? So do you listen and do you obey? See, that's what God looks for. That's where true emotional spiritual health resides, is when we hear and we obey. Is there anything wrong with all the No, nothing wrong at all. But here's something I observe as a pastor. It seems the longer that people travel in their relationship, or should I say in their faith journey, it is easier to become a little more regimented and routine and more disconnected from the vibrant, dynamic, personal relationship we had at the beginning. And God doesn't want us to lose the wonder and the fervor of our first love, that we would have this cultivated relationship with him. Look what it says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. It says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. This is beautiful agricultural imagery of where God is saying to us, let your faith be rich, personal, dynamic, never set the cruise control. But every day, involve God in every dimension of your life. Have God involved in your work and in your marriage and your relationships. The way you think, make it the center part of your life. Jude chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this, but you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love. Question. On the exterior that everyone else sees, would you say at the interior part of your world that you are right at the center of God's love? Because here's what I know to be true about our humanity. I will do everything in my power to convince you that my life is okay, that I am good. But at the interior, only the Spirit of God can help me truly discern, am I at the center of his love. And if I get those two things synced up together, I will have one powerful life rhythm which will be a transformation of my lives. And friends, I don't want anybody who attends Portico, who's part of our church community, to ever live a life that is less than what God has called us to. He wants your exterior world not to be something that you try to manufacture and control. He wants it to flow out of the nature of who you are. That when you abide in Him and He abides in you, that out of you will flow rivers of living water. You don't have to fabricate the external. It'll flow out of you because of your relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? So that's the joy of what it is to have emotional, spiritual health, that we cultivate this personal relationship with God. And here's the other thing I want you to see, that emotionally healthy people readily acknowledge issues of brokenness. 
Emotionally healthy people are quick to acknowledge when they're wrestling with issues of brokenness. This was a defining moment for Saul because he had run out of excuses for his disobedience. He couldn't sway or convince Samuel anymore. And so now he's got to come up with a way of explaining his actions. And so when you look into the story, Samuel begins to scrutinize what Saul had done and how he had acted. So Saul resorts to one of the oldest plays in the game book. He goes back to the blame game. It's what Eve did in the garden. It's what Adam did in the garden. It's what Saul does with Samuel. It's what we do when we're disconnected from the way God created us to be. What did Saul do? When Samuel starts to press in and goes, Saul, why didn't, you dis- why didn't you obey God? Why didn't you just do what he told you to do? Look what he says. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, okay, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction, but here is the catchphrase. Look at these words. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. You go, what? You're afraid of, you're the king. Your word has to be obeyed. And he goes, I was afraid of the men. So to protect his innocence, what does he do? He's trying to convince Samuel. Samuel, really, I'm innocent in this whole thing. Like the men, you know, we were in war and they were fighting and they were going, hey, King Saul, what if we keep all the good stuff? All Saul would have had to say at that moment is no. No, that's not what God asked us to do. But he goes, I was afraid of the men. What does that tell me? That we will go to incredible lengths to protect our innocence. We will blame others, even if the fault is ours. Because that exterior part, there's something in our nature that just says, never show weakness. And yet truly healthy, emotional, spiritual people understand issues of brokenness and readily admit when they struggle with them. And they're willing to be honest and candid about that. And Saul doesn't do that. He shows us the wrong way to go. Not only that, when Samuel pushes it just a little bit more, I want you to see see another verse here. It's verse 30. So when Samuel was pressing in again, Saul replied to him. He said this, Saul said, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Now here's something very significant. I don't know if you picked it up when we read the text. But as we were reading through the text, when Samuel is correcting Saul's behavior, Saul would continuously refer to Samuel. He'd say, so that we can worship the Lord, your God. Your God. He didn't say the Lord, our God. And he didn't say the Lord, my God. So here you got him protecting his innocence. And now you have him moving across in this verse right here. And he said, Samuel, would you come back with me? And he said it again. Would you come back with me and stand beside me in front of all the elders of Israel so that we can worship the Lord? Who's God? Your God? What was he doing? He was protecting his public image. If he couldn't protect his innocence, if he already knew he was found out, then he's going to protect his public image. So he says, Samuel, all I want you to do is I want you to come hang out with me. So that, yeah, okay, I know that God says I'm no longer king. I get it that God says he's going to take me away from the throne and there's going to be a new king. But we don't have to tell the people that, do we? Isn't it kind of interesting how we work out our little stories? So now he's playing a little game with Samuel. He goes, Samuel, tell you what, you come back. We'll just do a little bit of a sacrifice thing. I will present myself in public as the king. Your presence will still remind everybody that we're good. And as far as the people are concerned, everything is still normal. Isn't it interesting when there is a brokenness so deep inside of us 
that we know needs to be fixed, we will still do everything in our power to keep the public image of our lives polished. And that's what I want to challenge us not to do. Because when we do that, not only does it emotionally chew us up inside, it spiritually destroys us. Because we know we're living a false life. We know that the power that we present, the public persona that we present, the wholeness that we present, we know that it's disconnected. It's not synchronized with who we are in the interior part of our world. And that interior part of our world is where the eyes of the Lord search our hearts. And if we don't get that right, eventually the external collapses. And all of us, we've all seen that. We've seen it played out on the public stage. So for us together, we learn something from Saul. Make sure... Make sure that we wrestle through and we acknowledge our issues of brokenness and we learn how to resolve them with honesty and we own them and we readily admit to them. I like what it says in James 5.16. I put it in your notes for you today. It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. He says, talk with each other. Be candid about where your shortcomings are. Why does he do that? So that we might journey in relationship And we might experience the wonder of who God has created us to be. Well, I can tell you, the next couple of weeks together are going to be remarkable. When we look at what Saul did wrong, and we start to learn how to do it right, wherever you are on your life rhythms, wherever you are, allow God to begin to build into your life that sense of harmony and completeness. And by the time we get to the end of the series, my prayer for all of us is that we'll be operating at the full capacity the life that Christ has called us to. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, that's what we ask. There's so much to learn. There's so many ways that we can grow. We thank you for the marvel of salvation, the gift of new life in Jesus Christ. But we recognize that there's still patterns and habits and behaviors, and there are issues that we often press down beneath the surface. And we carry on as if nothing's ever changed. But I thank you that you love us too much to leave us that way. And I just even pray this morning for men and women, young people in the room, maybe for the first time, they just need to say yes to Jesus Christ and invite him to be Lord of their life. That even in this prayer, they would say, Jesus, would you come in? Because I know the exterior world doesn't match the interior world. So I want to just turn my life over to you in fullness and complete surrender. And as they journey with us over these next weeks, Father, I just pray that you'll grow them, that your spirit will develop in them the character of Christ and the joy and the fruit of what it is to walk with you. And then together as a church community, that we will really experience what it is to function at the levels of spiritual health that you have called us to. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the transforming power of your word. And I pray that all of us would be courageous enough to open our hearts to you and allow you to transform us. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.